I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 306. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. When was the last time you truly celebrated God's forgiveness? I love the song Holy Water by We the Kingdom as it leads us to do just that. So let's use the song to inspire us to explore all of this forgiveness and cleansing described in Scripture. But first, let's listen. reminder of the profound gift of God's forgiveness has been rocking my playlist this week. The thing that has struck me is that when I am most desperate for God, it's not his forgiveness that I seek. It's usually his hand. I usually want him to provide or heal or rescue, but rarely am I seeking out his forgiveness. How often do you celebrate his forgiveness? Is it like sweet, sweet honey on your lips? Is God's forgiveness like the sound of a symphony to your ears? Is it smooth and cleansing like holy water on your skin? I'm struck by a story in the New Testament found in Mark chapter 2 and then also again in Luke chapter 5. I studied, and I'll go ahead and read here, the account from Mark chapter 2. And it starts in verse 1. And when he, talking about Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And then when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Okay, so what's been going on up to this point that so many people would gather around Jesus? Well, 
you could read the context leading up to Mark chapter two. I mean, it's only the second chapter, right? So reading in context is my favorite bite Bible interaction tool exercise. Uh, I mentioned bites a lot on the podcast. It's just, they are just easy habits that you can begin to incorporate into your Bible study time to actually interact with God's word. Don't skip it. (laughs) Give yourself a reason to give into God's word. Don't skip over being able to read in context. But if you've already read it in context or you're very, very familiar with the text, another useful bite is to use the section headings to get your bearings. So if I hop back to Mark chapter one, I see this. John the Baptist prepares the way, the the baptism, excuse me, of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus calls the first disciples. Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus heals many. Jesus preaches in Galilee. Jesus cleanses a leper. And then we come to our account of Jesus healing a paralytic. So we see... That Jesus had been healing and preaching, and so he'd gotten himself quite a following. In fact, in chapter 1, Jesus healed a leper and told him to keep quiet, to only tell the priest and follow the law of Moses. But the leper couldn't. He couldn't help himself. And he just began to speak freely about all that Christ had done for him. And in fact, in verse 45, it says, So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So now we have the immediate context of why people would swarm Christ's home. But the Bible doesn't say why they were there specifically in that it doesn't say people gathered to hear Jesus teach or people gathered to seek his healing power. It doesn't really say that specifically. And at first, I kind of thought the context suggested only that people who needed something from him, like healing and unclean spirits sent out, those immediate needs, that those were the ones who followed him wherever he was. And that is true. That is probably true. But when I slowed down to really examine the text in context, I did see something else. And herein lies the lesson. I was actually pulling this story as a jumping off point to go somewhere else. Uh, As it turns out, the Lord led me to stay here in this text for this podcast. Would it have been sinful to just kind of highlight this and then go study somewhere else? No, I don't want you to overthink which words of God you are studying. But sometimes we approach scripture with predetermined ideas and then miss what it's actually saying. So in this area of scripture, it states over and over that Jesus was teaching. So whether it was important to the listener, what he was saying, it was important to Jesus to be teaching. And I know that the Holy Text does not record every single word that Jesus said. Even John in uh, the last chapter of John, verse 25 says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Oh, that's so true. So I know that sometimes we were like, why isn't, why weren't these details put in? Or why didn't they tell us what he said here? Or what were the other people thinking and saying? But what was recorded was divinely inspired by God. We have to believe that and understand that, um, that we have all that we need to understand what God want, wants to speak to us. So in, uh, let's slow down here and let's just make some observations. Let's stay in Mark chapter two. Uh, it would be great to write down your observations as well. If you have a study notebook, no one is grading you. This is not a test. This is interacting with God's word. If you open up your study notebook and you write down two things, 
That's two things that you did that you wrote down that you hadn't written down previously. Uh, writing a, in a notebook is one way to slow down. Slow down is a bite that I suggest. Um, there's many different ways that we can slow down. But go ahead and use this bite of, of making observations. Remember, they're just Bible interaction tool exercises. So you can make an observation and not write it down. I understand that. But if you choose to write it down, I think it will benefit you greatly. I know that I will see something. I'm going to share with you some of my observations that you might not have seen at first pass. And I'm sure if we were sitting over coffee together discussing this passage, we could go back and forth and you might see something I didn't see. In fact, if you want to add the bite of sharing with a friend, I think this exercise is super fun to do together. So grab a friend, grab Mark chapter two, grab a couple notebooks and uh, start to write down some observations. What are some of the things that you see as you're reading this? So let's observe who was in the room, for example. So I see Jesus. I see a crowd. Mark points out here that there were so many people that there was no room. Uh, I see four men and a paralytic. No, it's not the beginning of a joke. <laughs> I see scribes who were obviously part of the crowd as well, but they were specifically mentioned. So scribes were also there. Uh, as a side note, who were the scribes? Now, you might, as you go through and make observations, jot down questions that you could go and do further research as well or ask a pastor or a godly friend who may know, especially if you're new to um, really interacting with scripture and you've never really stopped and said, uh, there's all these things that I have questions about and I don't know the answers and then I get stuck or I just give up. Uh, so I encourage you to write those questions out. So here's a question that I thought some of you might ask, which is who are the scribes? So if I go look in blueletterbible.org, this is a free resource online. And I'm actually clicking on the word scribes and I find this article that describes who the scribes were. All right. And it says the Greek word grammateus translated scribe means writer. The scribes were the ones who drew up legal documents. They also copied the Old Testament scripture word for word. OK, they also devoted themselves to the study of the law which makes sense because if you're copying it, you're, you can you can also be studying it, and the determination of its applications on daily life. So they are interpreting and applying scripture as well. They also studied the scripture with respect to doctrinal and historical matters, and noted scribes had their own disciples, and many of the scribes were also members of the Jewish council. So these are the scribes that you are mentioned here. That Hopefully that gives you a little bit better perspective. So that we've observed who was in the room. Let's observe what words were spoken. Well, only the words of Jesus and the crowd's response are actually recorded here, interestingly enough, because we have all of these different people in the room. And as I mentioned, not all of the words Jesus said were recorded. We don't know what he was teaching when the roof fell, uh, caved in, right? But some of them uh, were recorded, and this is what was recorded. Son, your sins are forgiven is one phrase that he was he was recorded. And if your Bible has red letters, then you'll see these phrases in red letters. Uh, and that's what that means. So the words that Jesus spoke are in red letters. So why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So those are the words of Jesus. What were the crowd? What was the crowd's response? Um, in quotes, it says, "We never saw anything like this." So it's as if they spoke those words out loud. Now there were other words recorded that were not actually spoken. Okay, 
just considered in the hearts of the scribes were these words. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, now don't forget, we're just making observations at this point. It's so easy to go in and start jumping to interpretation, meaning what did these words mean? And also, culturally, honestly, we want to start with application. What's in it for me? That's the mantra of our society. But in this step, in using these observations, we are just making observations and writing them down. We're just kind of unpacking the text a little bit and reorganizing it um, in in and seeing details that maybe we would not have seen with just reading it or cursory reading and moving on to the next chapter. All right. So what actions, what were the actions taken? I love doing this. Look for the verbs. Okay. So the verbs are going to show you what's happening, the actions that are happening. And the first verb I see is returned. So it seems as though Jesus was somewhere else besides Capernaum. If we had not done so, if we had not done so already, you you could then use that as a springing board to explore the context to see where he returned from. Okay, when then I see reported, I often laugh at my boss at school. He is most recently from the Dallas area and will often ask with amazement, how do you know them or how did you know that? And my response is often, Mr. Davis, it's a small town. Okay, and so while we don't know how the word got out, I imagine it didn't take long for the area of Capernaum to be buzzing. Jesus is home. Okay, so uh, then the next verb is gathered. Whoever was bold enough, interested enough, close enough, lucky enough to get in the room, gathered in the home of Jesus. There was a crowd. It was full. uh, And Mark uh, gave those details. The next verb is preaching. Jesus was preaching the word to them. The word here is literally speaking. Jesus was speaking. He was using words and sounds from his mouth. He was speaking the word to them. And I observe at this point that the very people who had ought with what he does and says, so these scribes that are are um, kind of uh, at odds with him in, in what he is saying, that was their job too. You know, they're the scribes. So they, though they were writers, uh, that meant that because they copied the scripture, they should have great knowledge of the scriptures in order to speak them to others. So that that didn't uh, pass my observation as well. The next three verbs came bringing and carried uh, the crowd had gathered. The room had filled to overflowing, but they arrived and they were carrying their friend from who knows how far away. And it's funny because it just says and they arrived and or they came. And who's they? Well, we find out later there. They are these four men carrying this this bed uh, with this paralytic man on it. The next verb is removed. I love this scene because you can see in your mind's eye a mat of some sort with a paralyzed man on it carried by four determined friends, so determined that they were willing to climb to the roof of a house and tear a hole into the roof. They removed the roof above Jesus. Now, I understand that these houses were built differently, that there were generally ladders or stairs up to the top and that they were flat roofs and all this other stuff that I read, but it doesn't matter. They still had to carry their friend to the roof of a house and remove part of the roof to lower their friend down. So uh, that word removed is a very powerful action. Uh, I'm thinking also that they have options here right? They could have shoved their way in. They could have hollered and made a scene outside the house. I remember reading about the blind man that did just that. But but no, they thought, hey, we can get to him from above. 
I just really wonder how that whole conversation went down. Uh, that they, I wonder whose idea that was to climb to the roof and and dig a hole and vandalize basically Jesus's house. Uh, but anyway, the next phrases are verb phrases are made an opening, let down the bed, and uh, again, make no mistake, this was a process. The sheer will and determination displayed by the actions of these four friends is astounding to me. The next verb is saw. When Jesus saw, it says. But look closely. It doesn't say when Jesus saw what they had done. It says when Jesus saw their faith. What? Faith can be visible? I think over to James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacked in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What good would it have been? I question, based on these scriptures, what good would it have been for the paralytic's friends to have faith at home? If they don't come to the gathering at Jesus's home and they don't haul their friend to the roof and vandalize our Savior's home and lower him down on a mat in front of Jesus's face, then the next two miracles don't happen. All right. So Jesus saw he saw their faith and then he the next two verbs he said and he forgave. The word forgave isn't there, but the the forgiveness is in the words that he spoke. Right. Uh, Then we see the verbs of the scribes, which we've already discussed, sitting, questioning, and accusing Jesus of blaspheming. Back to the verbs of Jesus. He is perceiving and he is saying, or he's responding. All right. Now we've already reviewed those words that were spoken. So let's go ahead and jump back in after the verbal exchange. So there's other verbs and stuff in kind of like the words that we already reviewed, but um, we're running out of time. So let's jump back in after the verbal exchange in verse 12. After Jesus gave him the command to rise, the paralytic rose, picked up his bed and went out before them all. I love that. And then the crowd responded in amazement, glorifying God and saying, we never saw anything like this. All right. So even with few words recorded, there was a lot of action recorded and it tells a lot about the people described in this story. So on your own and in your own words, how would you describe Jesus? How would you describe the scribes? How would you describe the friends? How would you describe the paralytic? And how would you describe the crowd? You know, as you've broken apart and made all these observations. You see, I I see Jesus being faithful to do what he came to do. He taught the word. He taught the word wherever he went. We focus so much on what he what he did and said that we miss the nuggets that he that he was in these places teaching. I mean, just keep reading in Mark chapter two. The very next verse says he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them, teaching, teaching, teaching. And in the midst of that healing and revealing who he actually was, because the thing that stuck in the craw of the scribes was that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus was like, yep. And I'm God. I mean, was basically what he's saying. You know, I'm, I'm actually going to cut the scribes a little slack in this section because they were not described in this section as necessarily out to get Jesus yet. They are still gathered in curiosity. This man seems to have authority in teaching and it's proven by his miraculous works. And from their study of the scripture, they rightly determine that only God can forgive sins and are shocked to hear that Jesus is declaring himself the son of man with authority in heaven and on earth to forgive sins. 
Wow, I mean, this this would be a big doozy for them. I love what John Piper shares. He says this. Um, I'll link to it, uh, the article I found on discovering, uh, no, no, on his, on his desiringgod.org, on his website. It says, I think the reason uh, he did this is because on the face of it, and he was really referring to why does Jesus refer to himself as the son of man? But in his answer comes an answer for us. Uh, son of man is an ordinary phrase for a human being. He was born of a man, and there's no offense there. Who isn't a son of man? But those with ears to hear could hear Daniel 7, in which he was claiming a very exalted role in the history of redemption, and he meant to do it. You see, the scribes' ears are perked because they've copied Daniel 7, okay? Jesus was very subtle in that he was always opening his identity with to those with eyes to see, but he wasn't opening it so blatantly that everyone would come and make him king. He had to steer a very narrow course in disclosing his identity, not just openly saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king of the world, come and acknowledge me as king. He didn't really talk like that. He was quiet, he was subtle, and he would make claims that were explicit in certain settings and implicit in others. And only when the time was right, mainly when he was on trial for his life, and they said, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? Did he say, I am? and you will see the Son of Man coming with great power and glory. So he confessed his open deity right at the point when he knew he would be crucified for it. And then he he goes on to say, Son of Man has the double meaning of human being and according to Daniel 7, a highly exalted one. And Jesus means to communicate both of those when he calls himself Son of Man. So I love that. So continue down this path and make your own summary statements. But before we leave today, I want to get to the main thing that struck me this week as I was listening to our song uh, and maybe belting it out in the shower as well. But it says, when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm thinking that's not what his friends were thinking when they made a hole in the roof. I'm I'm thinking they were hoping for what happened next, the whole rise and take your mat and go home part. But Jesus rightly determined that the the paralysis as a felt need, the paralyzed man's real need was forgiveness. And I'm pretty sure the crowd wasn't saying, we never saw anything like this about the man's sins being forgiven. But that, my friends, is the true eternal miracle. You see, that paralyzed man, he's dead. He died at some point in the future. But if his sins are forgiven by our Savior, he now walks the streets of gold with eternal life. That is is what we should be celebrating as we sing. His forgiveness is the true miracle. It should be what we seek long before we seek his hand. And by the way, remember how I said I was in a hurry to get through this story in Mark to get to another place? Well, all of this came from a rabbit that I chased because I was going to expound on 1 John because it's there that we see this beautiful truth that I personally have filed in my memory where it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, our forgiveness and our purification is our greatest need, not the list that we normally lay at his feet, but he has the authority to do both, forgive our sins and heal and provide and rescue and answer all of our felt needs. So what's next? (laughs) Well, read Mark chapter two for yourself. In fact, go ahead and start in Mark Mark chapter 1 and read all the way through Mark chapter 2 to get in the context. 
pull out a notebook and interact with God's word. Write down your observations. Read with a friend and mark down observations together. Consider the emphasis that Jesus put on forgiveness in this account. And if you are a follower of Christ, celebrate his forgiveness that he gives so freely. Just repent and confess and be purified. And this is not a one-time thing. There is a one-time repentance where you can repent and confess towards salvation, but we should live a lifestyle of repentance, confession and repentance, uh, so that we can live a purified lifestyle in righteousness. All right, now while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, Michelle at MichelleNezat.com. How easy for me to say. Hop on Twitter at Michelle Nizat or Instagram at Michelle Nizat. Michelle L. Nizat is my public page on Facebook. Let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Harrison from Tennessee and Sophia from the Philippines and Jordan from the U.S. Welcome. Now, new subscribers Subscribers to my website benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. This is a really great place to start. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you will get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the extra resources that I create for my podcast from time to time. And all of that is just my way of saying Thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Well, this obviously encourages me, but it also helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using Power by We Are Messengers to lead us to scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 306. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.